We welcome Chris Hyde, who's editor of Hawke's Bay today. Thanks for your precious time, Chris. Busy person. And at the moment, in fact, uh, we are hearing again of... uh, Flooding, closing State Highway 2 between Napier and Gisborne. Uh, speaking of water, the water is back, unfortunately. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? Really good, thanks. This yeah, will is... uh, not be welcome after the, the year that these parts, this part of the country's had. No, I know. Another, another wet night for Northern Hawke's Bay. Um, it hasn't been horrific down here um, towards Napier-Hastings, the, the Twin Cities, but certainly... Um, up Nuhaka way between Wairoa and Mahia. Looks like that's copped the worst of it, um, where there are people being evacuated and evacuation centres set up. Um, so for, for those people, we've, we've spoken to a few and, and some have said that for Nuhaka in particular, worse than Cyclone Gabriel, this particular rain, um, because Cyclone Gabriel in Northern Hawke's Bay was actually not too bad other than in Wairoa where, um, the, it, it received a, a freak flood basically um, through the town. So, um, yeah, really feeling for the people of, of Newhaka in particular that, um, that they've copped a lot this year. Um, and that yeah. State Highway 2, that precious connection, it was open again, but there were still some fairly tenuous parts, weren't there, Chris, from memory? There's still work to be done, right? Yeah, absolutely. The um, NZTA, they've been um, doing, playing a bit of a game of pick-up sticks on the um, Waikari Gorge recently, just trying to remove that that flooded bridge um, that um, was swept half away um, in Cyclone Gabriel. The, the Bailey Bridge that they built over there um, has been an absolute lifeline um, in the meantime. But yeah, that, that whole network is still fragile. Um, we were told to expect that there would be more closures, and the fact that there hasn't been more is, to a certain extent, quite heroic from those those road workers. Um, but yeah, it, it will it remains to be seen. Um, you know how 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 resilient it will keep being if we continue to get more rainfall over the next little bit. Meanwhile, there is a new store in town on State Highway Two. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact that this has happened. You know. Um, the one-stop kite shop convenience store is um, for Ropanga. Um, the, the people at Ropanga, it's an absolute lifeline for them. It's like all their Christmases have come at once because this, this town, it's a town, 250 people between, um, I don't know if you know the geography of the area, but the famous Mohaka Viaduct is, is right there. Um, and then Wairoa, um, about 20 minutes down the road. Um, and it, it is um it's very isolated and it hasn't had a store for what people believe is about 40 years um so for for someone to open one there um it's just fantastic um nathan aranui and his partner adissa poipoi um it's been kind of their dream to do this for the last six years um they they bought bought an old classroom and transported it down and put it on the site of a an old store that burnt to the ground and 2016, um, and uh, they're, they're open. Very good. Rotary. And, and, uh, and yeah. business, a lot of a lot of truckies, I imagine, um, uh, but a small town that needs servicing as well, but there'll be a fair bit of traffic stopping off for, for the goods. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, pe- people travel between Napier and Gisborne a lot, and that, that's one of, the, one of the places that you can stop. Um, it, there's a there's a little store in Tutera which is still going strong just down well, about 
30 minutes down the road. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, a fascinating drive through there. I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance Two to do is stunning with all its history as well. And as you say, the, yeah, um, the viaduct is a, yeah. is a kind of a miracle of, uh, of engineering. Um, you wonder how yeah. we managed to do it so well back in the day, don't you? Um, yeah, well, they, they, they used to have a post office in the store there, a petrol station, yeah. a garage, fish yeah. and chip, all of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, when you open a new shop, you need to have a sort of an anchor product, and there's a there's a, a couple of products I think that are selling well so far. Yeah, the hungy pies and the power pies. Apparently, they're a huge hit with the community and with the truckies. So, yeah, um, maybe, maybe that's the way to go when you when you when you stop there. I don't know about a power pie; I just have the power. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if you need your pastry fix, fair enough. Uh, what's the story? Oh, this was a lovely uh, article written with great empathy um, and really well written in, in Hawke's Bay today. I read it uh, a few days back, Chris, about what a, they've been dubbed the Driftwood Drifters. And again, you need to know a little bit of the geography, that extraordinary strip of Marine Parade in um, in Napier, Gravel Beach, and with, gosh, some of the most not-to-be-trusted water and waves not too far away. But people are making us their home, and, and your reporter gave us a real insight into their lives. Yeah, Mitchell Hageman, um, a really talented reporter that we have here, he he went down and, and just spent half a day with them, basically, um, just finding out why they're there and and what's it like to, to actually live a life where you build a driftwood, a hut out of driftwood, and and choose to live in it on a stony beach. Um, and so for John, um, the, the beach for him, is a, it's a place of solidarity, uh, of self-realisation, somewhere he can be away from the world. That's kind of where he's, he was previously grappling with housing troubles, with crime troubles. Um, he, he finds solace in the beach. Um, but his Nape City Council is pretty concerned at the moment because of how many people there are around him. Um, and John as well, you know, he, he told us one quote, the way things are going, there'll be more people than stones on the beach, which is um, um, quite powerful, I think, to describe perhaps the housing and infrastructure struggles that Hawke's Bay has at the moment. How is the council uh, dealing with people who are actually putting up quite sophisticated structures, some of them, um, and is there a, a tolerance with this or are some of them finding themselves moved on? There is a tolerance, you know. I think the council, based on their response to us, they, they recognise that it's a complicated issue, that people are there not just because um, they have no choice but because they want to be as well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a not, and for, for some people, the the idea of, of being out there is is quite romantic in some ways. Um, there the, the has been a visible increase in, in people out there. And, and part of the reason is that there used to be some rather large bushes on the foreshore that homeless would take up residents in, but those have been trimmed back in recent months. So they're not no longer kind of suitable um, for, for temporary living. Um, so people have shifted to the beach itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, John John's rationale is pretty simple, right? He's happy to sleep among the sound of, I mean, he has gnawing rats there, you know, rushing waves all around him. But his rationale is that, you know, everything's too expensive. Can't afford anything, but I can here I can get away from the world and find myself and my peace again, you know. So uh, to a certain extent, you have to respect that. But there, there are 
there are some obviously some issues in wider society that we would need to tackle if where is um where is Hawke's Bay and Napier specifically at in terms of any kind of uh, social housing from memory the councils used to own um, social housing, uh, one of them anyway, one I covered back in the day. But um, wh- where are they at now, or where uh, where is the availability overall of of social mm. housing in in the tw- in the Twin Cities? Yeah, certainly, um, emergency housing has been one of the big issues for Hawke's Bay over the past five six years, um, with housing wait lists ten times higher than they ever were fifteen years ago. You know. Um, and so that there is some council housing, um, a lot of um, Kainga Ora housing, or as it was Housing New Zealand at the time, was, was demolished about 10 years ago in Napier. And it's slowly, the inventory is slowly being built up again, um, sort of one at a time, I, I suppose, or, or 10 at a time. Um, but, you know, the the actual housing register there, it is dropping um, overall, but not at the rate that it increased, say five or six years ago, it's still there's still a solid amount of people who are, are waiting for a permanent home. Basically, they, they, they live in cars or carriages or friends' houses or motels. Over to Havelock North, and there are these intrepid souls, aren't there, who just spend decades building the most phenomenal gardens uh, for themselves to enjoy, but often for others to enjoy as well. Tell me about John Timpson's one. Yeah, uh, so John has spent 40 years building a garden in Havelock North, um, Brittlebane Road, which is a really nice area of Havelock North. Um, basically, in 1983, he bought a quarter-acre section, um, which is just the typical Kiwi quarter-acre. Um, and he's turned it into a place of kind of magic where there's just food for days, organic eco-gardening. Um, Growing avocados, berries, gooseberries, raspberries, strawberries, plums, figs, peaches, bananas, just yeah, anything you can think of really. Um, he's he's probably tried it. Um, and so what he's doing now is he's not just built his garden, but he's actually turned it into a charitable trust and he's opening it up to the public to show them what is possible with a quarter acre. What can you do with it? Um, how can you build this in a way that feeds people and that potentially, um, you know, helps solve some society's issues, climate change, all, all of those sort of things, uh, which I think is really neat. What's he growing there? I mean, it is the fruit bowl of uh, the country, Hawke's Bay. Yeah. So he started out with a couple of trees, right? Um, first couple of years, he just kind of ran around it with a lawnmower um, and then people just started giving him plants Um so he'd grown all sorts of vegetables, all sorts of fruits. It, I mean, in in Havelock North and in Hawke's Bay, I mean, we all know it. The soil is fantastic. Um, so um, we're at a huge advantage here, and you know, we we should be making as much use of it as we can. Um, so he, he's hoping to inspire people to plant in any kind of small space in your garden. Just just make use of it and and plant some food. Um, basically. It's open to the public. There's been one or two innovative businesses also, um, one in particular I can recall interviewing, making use of things like the sides of car parks or big open spaces to set up some raised gardens for staff. 
you know, it's it's not a daft idea, is it? Um, to to help out where there's some space, uh, just to help people with some of uh, some of the staples, and it also becomes um, a social interaction. Yeah, the concept of kind of these food forests, you know, that um, that can be built in public spaces or in um, in private spaces that that people then share around. It's kind of a it's a New Zealand thing to do, right? That we always used to do that. We still do it with fee jars. We still do it with lemons. Um, but can we do it with other stuff as well? You know, um, I, I I feel like particularly in Hawke's Bay, there's a real opportunity there, and I I, I have a huge respect for John. Um, that he's he's doing this and he's opening his garden up every Sunday one one pm to four pm. You can go along and thirty nine Brittlebane Road, and he'll be there and he'll he'll show you what he's done and how you can do something similar in, in your patch as well. I don't want to spend. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left anyway. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but we don't have to go back too many months uh, to know the huge stress unleashed on parts of the district earlier in the year. And Chris, uh, I, I know some of those growers themselves, professional growers, are still dealing with the uh, with the consequences of that. Where, where would you say morale uh, is at as the year comes towards a close, amongst those you're talking to or industry leaders? I think we've had a better than expected spring, despite the flooding today um, up north. I think from a weather point of view. Um, spring has been an ideal growing environment here in Hawke's Bay. We were, we were around about August. We were thinking, gosh, it is so dry. Um, but it has, it has rained and it has rained consistently through spring. Um, so we haven't have had the fears that El Nino possibly put in us, um, a couple of months ago. Um, I think like, I mean, from a Christmas fruit point of view, you know, production will be down, um, but it won't be as bad perhaps as it possibly could have been. Um, morale will, is still low, but it's not as bad as it could have been, uh, which I'm quite thankful for. I that think. nice, steady, gentle rain is what growers need. Um, yes, and, yeah, yeah, and you'll, you'll need some more of it, obviously, before the, before the summer's out, but good to hear that for the most part it's been a little bit kinder.